This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Jason Berry delivers the teaching entitled Worry. This is the fourth message in the series by Happy. Please enjoy. So welcome to 12 Stone here and across all of our campuses as we wrap up our Buy Happy series. And inside this series, you're well aware, we've been exploring where does happy really come from? And we've been sort of using the best message ever preached in history. It was preached by Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. We've been using that as sort of our, our core text as we've jumped in to this series. And today we talk about the topic of worry. And if you're a human being, you've experienced worry before, right? How many of you have ever been worried at one point of time or another? Okay, let's be honest. Look at your neighbor. Tell them to chill out. Just say, hey, chill out. They'll look, they'll look back at him and say, hey, worry about yourself. See, I know, I know there's some Georgia Tech fans that are worried about next weekend. Um, and they should. They might not have a football team after we're done with them. But I, worry's a thing, right? Worry... Amen to the man in the back. Worry is a thing. We've been there. We've had worry is a part of our life. And yet we read what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Jesus is saying things about worry that I need us to sit inside of it. So if you would, grab your Bibles if you want to follow along. Page 971. I want to read Matthew 6, 25 to 34 in its entirety. So I want you to buckle up and sit with me through this because Jesus is speaking directly to the concept of worry. And we need to hear what Jesus says about this as a backdrop to everything that we're about to go after concerning worry today. So page 971, Matthew 6, 25 to 34. So here we go. Therefore, this is Jesus talking. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field, they grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry by saying, what shall I eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds like a good life. I want that, Jesus, please. But that doesn't sound like a normal Monday for me. Maybe it does for you, but for me, it doesn't. I wake up thinking, all right, what's the traffic going to be like in 85? I'm worried I'm going to be late for work, right? I have three kids, and so I've got the worry of kids. Are my kids going to grow up to be weird, or are they going to be well-adjusted? Am I hugging them enough? Am I disciplining them enough? I'm Christmas shopping. Am I spoiling them? Am I not giving them enough? I'm, I'm trying to save for retirement. Will I ever be able to actually retire? The mortgage uh, bill is coming in the mail next week. Am I going to have the money in savings account to do that? We've got students in high school who are looking. Am I, have I done enough extracurriculars to get into the school that I want to get into? You see, worry is so prevalent. And you read Matthew 6 and go, yeah, I want that. But that's not what I'm experiencing right now. 
See, I have memories of worry from like childhood. I remember sixth grade in gym class, they're teaching us square dancing. Did they still do that? I'm curious. They still teach square dancing. Why did they teach sixth grade? I've never square danced since in my life. It's silly. But there was, there was a young lady whose name I will not mention because she still is, follows me on social media that I had a crush on. My sixth grade crush was, was, was in my gym class, and as luck would have it, the gym teacher partnered us together. So I was one part like super stoked and two parts super worried. And so it's the day of gym class. I know what's up. My shoes are on point. My gym shorts freshly washed. My shirt is clean. I don't stink like I usually do at gym class. I'm ready for square dancing with this girl that I had a crush on. And so we show up and the gym teacher's explaining things and I feel the worries start to rise and my palms start to get sweaty. I'm like, come on guys, not today, not today. This is a big day for me. Dry off. So I'm wiping my hands and, and he's like, all right, go ahead and get your partner's hand and let's square dance. And I grab her hands and I just feel it slime me. I'm like, no God, why not today? And we finished the gym class and I overhear her tell her friend, man, his hands were gross. And I'm like, oh God. It was the end of my sixth grade life, man. Worry ate my lunch. Thanks for laughing at a poor sixth grader, by the way. That's dark. <laughs> See, I remember my first year of marriage. That was a tough year. Man, we jumped in. I, I had, for the first time, stepped out from under the care of my parents. And I had a wife and I had a house that I had to pay for. I remember getting my first mortgage bill. And I don't remember the first time you realized, oh, we have to pay every month just to stay here. Like that was a moment for me and I, I was overwhelmed. And then we got pregnant way earlier than we were expecting 11, 12 months into marriage. And so now I've got another mouth to feed and the pressure is starting just to weigh on my shoulders. And I feel this worry start to drum up inside me. We've all had moments like that. See, and it was in that season that, that I, I started to learn the reality of how this works. You see, there's, there's a difference in life between pressure and worry. See, we tend to think they're the same thing and we treat them the same way, but there's a difference between pressure and worry. If you're taking notes, pressure is on the outside and worry is on the inside. See, pressure are the things that, that it's a mortgage bill that's due. It's, it's a kid you have to raise. The pressure's on the outside. Worry sits on the inside. In fact, let me take it to the whiteboard. I want to show you how this, how this works. This is a graph for those of you who did not do well in math class. This is a graph. And on this some of you ask real, isn't it? On this axis is time. On this axis is intensity. So this is time going on from birth to the thing we don't want to talk about at the end. And this is the reality of how intense this can be. And in life, as life goes on, listen, pressure rises as life goes on. You should get this. When you're a baby, the pressure is very low. Eat, sleep, poop, right? That's life as a baby. Then you get to third grade and you got to pass a spelling test. And then sixth grade, you're passing science tests. And you're trying to graduate high school. And then after that, you got to get into college and pick your degree and then find your job. And then you get married and that adds pressure. Amen, husbands. And then you got you to have some kids and that adds pressure. And then you have a career and hopefully you're rising in that. You see, pressure rises over time. And hear me, that is a good thing. A life without pressure, in great part, is a life without purpose. You want pressure to rise. Let me talk to just students and young people. You are going to be told that in life, if pressure rises, something's wrong and you should abandon. Culture's going to tell you, listen, you, oh, there's pressure. Avoid pressure. Avoid pressure. Listen, 
You can't have a meaningful career without pressure being added. You can't take a spouse without life and having pressure added. You can't have kids without pressure being added to your life. Pressure is not the enemy. Here's, here's where we get into trouble. Because it's natural for life to have pressure rise over time. Here's where we get in trouble. We get in trouble when as pressure rises in our life, worry rises at the same pace as pressure. See, this is where your life cracks. When pressure rises and worry rises along with it at the same speed, your life will crack. See, in Matthew 6, Jesus isn't offering us a, a life with less pressure. He's offering us a life with less worry. See, when you read Matthew 6, it's almost like Jesus is saying, as life goes on, this pressure begins to rise. I want to offer you a life in which worry doesn't rise at the same speed as pressure. See, young people, pressure is not the enemy. In fact, I once heard a pastor say, young people are like a pickup truck. They drive straighter with a load in the back. See, pressure is not the enemy. Our aim in life, if I could put a bullseye on life, is to live a life that has high pressure and low worry. I want to live a life that has high pressure and low worry because it's not how much you carry, it's how heavy you carry it. See, I think in a, in a church this size, there are people who worry is an everyday thing right now. You're carrying worry heavy. I don't know, maybe it's because of something that happened in your past. Maybe it's fear of something in the future. Maybe it's the amount of pressure you're carrying, you don't know what to do with it. I think there's, in a church this size, there's people who are living underneath the potential God has in your life because you've not figured out how to carry more pressure without worry going with it. And what if, what if your heavenly father wanted to give you a breakthrough in that today? See, we're, we're gonna be saving about 10 to 12 minutes at the end of the service because we wanna give space for a sacred moment between you and your heavenly father where perhaps God would break the chains of worry in your life. And maybe he's gonna invite you into that as we jump into this topic today. So the reality is this, if, if we are supposed to live a life with high pressure and low worry, how do we do it? How do we do that? I wanna give you two things. These are not in your notes, but I wanna give them to you. Two things, you have to be rooted in community and anchored in truth. You've gotta be rooted in community, but anchored in truth. The first one's a soapbox, I'll get in it and I'll get off quick. Here's the deal, the reality is this, you have to be rooted in community. I have seen people who carry pressure crack because they're isolated. You ever seen this? When you're isolated, you were never meant to carry all the pressure this life offers on your own. See, I've seen people who are rooted in spiritual community, being in a small group with others, be able to shoulder the pressures of life way more healthy than people who are isolated. I've heard stories of people who get a diagnosis they weren't expecting or lose a job, and I've watched small groups rally around people and help them shoulder the pressure. There's a single mom two weeks ago in the Buford campus. She needed a vehicle. Her vehicle broke down. She needed a vehicle. She's rooted in community there. And God started to talk to a guy in the campus to give his car away. And they connected dots. Why? Because they were in community together. See, community helps us carry the pressures of life without worry rising with them. Let's make it really practical. If you're sitting here and you are isolated, you're not in a small group or in spiritual community, it might be the most meaningful thing you do today to attack the worry in your life would be tearing off that tear-off card that says how to experience Filling that out, signing up, how to experience starts next week across all of our campuses. Jump in. That's your first step to getting rooted in community. 
We want to help you carry the pressures of this life. So you have to be rooted in community. And second, you have to be anchored in truth. You have to be anchored in truth. See, uh, this past summer, my wife and I took the family up to Indiana to visit my brother. He's got a little pontoon boat on a little lake up in Indiana. And so we drove that thing around. And I don't know about this, dads. We got to be honest with each other. There's something that happens when your kids are behind you and you're tubing and you're in the driver's seat of the boat. Like there's a little thing that snaps and you turn a little bit evil. Like you want to, I don't want my kids to die or be seriously injured, but I want them to maybe be terrified. And that's kind of messed up and dark. And so you do crazy things with the kids in the back and the pontoon boat. I don't know why we do it, but all dads do that. So we did that for hours. The kids had a blast. They're safe. Don't call child protective services. Everything's fine. So we get to the heat of the middle of the day and we're tired of just being in the baking sun. So we say, let's go, let's go pull the boat into a cove and let's let the kids jump in and swim and, and cool off. And so we pull the boat into a cove. The kids jump off. They're having fun. And my brother stays in the, in the driver's seat of the boat because every couple minutes, the boat starts to drift towards shore. He has to start the engine and pull it back out again away from shore. And then the kids keep swimming. And every couple minutes, he starts the engine and he gets tired of having to sit in that seat and keep doing that. So what does he do? He gets the anchor out of the boat and he drops the anchor, ties it off and everything changed. He went from being really, really careful, making sure the boat's safe, head on a swivel to being carefree because the boat was anchored. See, when the boat's anchored, you don't have to sit in the driver's seat, head on a swivel. You can live carefree. The worry disappeared. He jumped off the back of the boat. He was carefree. The same is true for our soul. We have to have anchors in our life. So when the pressures of this world begin to rise, our worries are anchored in truth. Otherwise, your life will crack under the pressure that this world offers. And God's word is full of promises and truth that he wants to anchor our souls to so that we can live carefree. But how do you turn truth into an anchor? If you're taking notes, simply put, it's this. To make truth an anchor, you have to bow to it before you can stand on it. You have to bow to it before you can stand on it. You have to bow to God's truth before you can stand on it as an anchor in your life. Let's, let's put it in a different environment. I believe that exercise is healthy, gets me fit, and prolongs my life. We sort of agree with that, right? Like That's a well-known fact. If not, you're welcome. Exercise does those things. If I wake up every morning and just declare, I believe that exercise makes me fit and prolongs my life. Would I get any healthier just by yelling it? Now, how many of you wish that you could have God go do creation again and make that true? In the name of Jesus, I declare it. That would be awesome. But it doesn't. Like You can shout that all you want while you're eating a banana Sunday and, and life is, is happening. You're going to gain weight. You're not going to get healthy, right? What do you have to do? You have to bow to that truth. It's not enough just to say it, give it lip service. You have to bow to it. The same thing is true of God's promises, God's word. And you see, I think what God wants to do is to help us put some anchors into our life so that when pressure rises, worry doesn't have to. So for the rest of our time, I'm going to give you two anchors that I believe that God would want to put in our life. And if we would only bow to them, we could stand on them when the pressure rises. So if you're taking notes, here's the first one. God is my provider. It's simply put, God is my provider. Back to the passage in Matthew. Here's what it says in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
And then in verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, he, will he not much more clothe you? Jesus is saying, here's your anchor. God is your provider. It's a really simple truth. Maybe you've noticed as pressure rises, sometimes the simpler truths become way more profound. See, when you have the weight to provide for yourself, sometimes simple truths become more profound. So how do we bow to the truth that God is my provider? Simply put, bow to the things we've taught in this series. See, if you've missed a weekend uh, in this series, I, I, would, I would beg you to go back, hop online, watch the teachings of this series. I'm not gonna reteach it right now, but it's things like this. If you want a fulfilling life, put God first. Don't store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. Honor God first with your first fruits, 10, 10, 80. The first 10's God's, then the next 10 I save, and the 80% is God's. Learn to draw lines of enough in your life. You see, God gets your first. You have to bow to God as your provider so you can stand on him as provider when the pressure rises. It happened this week to me. On Tuesday, I got the phone call that you always dread. My wife calls and says, hey, babe, the fridge stopped working. I hate that phone call. I, I hate, I'm, if, you, if you knew me, I'm, I am cheap. I am so cheap. I don't like spending money for anything, let alone spending money just to get back to whole again. Like Monday, my fridge was free and it worked. On Tuesday, I gotta spend like $1,000 to just get a fridge to work again. I hate that. So the pressure is starting to sort of pour on and I'm going, oh my goodness, I'm gonna have to write a check. I don't wanna write. So I get home and I call the refrigerator repair man. He's a nice guy, but he's like, uh, tell me what's going on. I explained it. And he goes, okay, I've seen that before. That'd be about three, 400 bucks to fix. Uh, but typically that breaks the ice, break, ice maker too. Is that broke? I checked, yes, that's broke too. Another three, 400 bucks. He's like, so that'll be about $800 to fix it. And I'm about 80 to 90% sure that will solve the problem. And I'm like, yeah, I'm out, bro. That's, I'm not spending 800 bucks to roll the dice. So I hop in the car and I start driving to Home Depot. And I'm just, the worry's starting to churn in my stomach. I'm feeling it. And I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. I'm teaching this, let's, let's, let's stop. God, you're my provider. God, thank you for providing a job where I have gainful employment. God, you provide a paycheck every week. You are so faithful in that. And God, thanks for years ago. Thank you for, for teaching me the 10, 10, 80 principle and then giving me discipline to do that every week. God, you get the first 10, I save the next 10. I live on the 80 because you gave me that discipline. I have the money from saving over those years to pay for this fridge. God, thank you so much. And I just felt the worry start to get anchored in the truth that God is my provider. So by the time I pull up to Home Depot, God just wants to show off and I pull up and there's signs everywhere saying, Black Friday appliance sale, all appliances. And I'm like, God, come on now. That's not even fair, that's good. And I saved 500 bucks on my, if my fridge broke last week or next week, I'm out, 500 more dollars. God's provide, listen, God has been my provider. I'm not perfect, but he's been my provider for years and there are thousands of you who that's true for. And you could stand here and you could share stories of how God provided over and over and over again. But listen, your worry will never decrease as long as you have to be your own provider. For some of you, you can't stand on that anchor because you've not bowed to it yet. And if you were honest, there are places that you've, you've been holding back from God and you have not trusted God, not just with your money, but with first in your life. And what God wants these anchors to do for you is to settle you. 
But when you wanna be in control, they feel stifling, don't they? God, you get the first 10, what? That stifles my ability to do what I wanna do in my life. And God's going, no, 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 I want more for you than from you. I don't want this to stifle you. I want this to settle you. And for many of us, we can't stand in that truth because we've not bowed to it. And I can't stand here and lie to you and say, listen, if God's not first, if you've not bowed to him as your provider, you're gonna be fine, he'll provide for you anyway. I, I can't do that. But here is the good news. God honors current obedience over past mistakes. That's good news. I don't know where you're at in this journey of God being your provider, but God honors current obedience over past mistakes, and that's part of the reason why we're gonna give some space at the close today. There'll be a chance for us to, for some of us to bow again to God as provider, for some of us to bow for the first time that God, you're my provider. We're in the middle of this 90-day trust test, and many of you, this will be a meaningful moment for you to bow as God is your provider. So the first sole anchor is that God is my provider. The second one, if you're taking notes, Jesus is my savior. Jesus is my savior. And some of you were like, is this Sunday school? Because this is like really basic stuff. Like, I get that. Jesus is my savior. What else you got? <laughs> See, the reality is that sometimes the most simple truths become profound when you're under pressure. See, my kids... Their, their little game that they play and they don't realize it is they, whenever they don't hear a question that I asked them, they just roll the dice and answer it, Jesus, because it's right half the time, right? <laughs> My kids go home from school, how was school? Luke's like, huh, what, uh, Jesus, perhaps? And it's like half the time, I'm like, dang it, you're right, it was Jesus, you weren't even listening. See, all the kids know Jesus is my, we know that statement, but I believe the gospel is the ultimate anchor to our souls. See, I know we've been talking a lot about money the last four weeks, and it's because Jesus talks a lot about it, and he knows that perhaps money is the number one rival to God in your heart, so he talks a lot about it, but I have to say this. You cannot buy your way to God. There is not a check big enough you can write to buy your way to God, so don't hear us even get close to that mess. In fact, you were bought at a great price by Jesus on the cross. You can't buy your way to God See, what, what the gospel declares, what this soul anchor that Jesus is my savior declares is that you are not enough. I am not enough. But Jesus is. That's good news right there. You're not enough. You can't do enough. You can't pay enough. You can't earn your way back. You are not enough, but Jesus is. That's the good news of the gospel. So how, we can clap for that. I'll clap for that. Come on now, it's the gospel. See, so how do you bow? If that's an anchor that, that God wants to put into our life, how do you bow to that? For some, it might be today bowing for the very first time, saying, Jesus, I need a savior. I can't clean up my own mess. Maybe you're sitting here right now and you've got worry in your life because you realize I've tried to be my own savior for a long time and I can't clean up my own mess. I got good news and bad news. Bad news is you can't. Good news is Jesus can. See, for others of us, Maybe we've bowed to this truth before, but the reality is salvation is bigger than just one day. It's a daily bowing. In fact, Jesus addresses it in the passage we read in Matthew 6, 33. Here's what Jesus says. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, Jesus is saying, seek first my kingdom. If you will seek me first, the daily bowing, saying, Jesus, your kingdom first, that's how we bow to Jesus as our savior. 
and that's how we stand on the truth. The reality is in the kingdom of God, you always surrender into strength. And for us to say, Jesus, I'm not enough, but you are, is a powerful encounter. Let me tell you how worry works in this. You're not enough for your kids. Parents, you are not enough for your kids. You're not enough for your spouse. Students, you're not enough for your friends. You're not enough to make your business successful. You're not enough for your boss. You're never enough, but Jesus is. But when you live in this life that you can't possibly ever be enough and you don't have one that is enough, worry will always plague you. I think there's moms and dads who lay in bed at night and stare at the ceiling and worry. I, I'm not able to love my kids enough. I'm not able enough to serve my spouse enough. I'm not able to, to do enough at work to make my boss like me and get me what I want in this world. I, I'm not enough. And Jesus is saying, listen, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I am enough. And that's the beauty of the gospel. And if you would bow to that truth that Jesus is your savior, you can stand on that truth when the pressures of life rise and you look yourself in the mirror and go, I'm not enough. You're not. But Jesus is. And the truth is this. There's nothing left on this earth that could truly cause us to worry that Jesus didn't conquer on the cross. See, that's why the gospel is such good news. That's why the gospel is such good news. Let me take it back to the whiteboard, really practically here. So as the pressures of life rise, and you realize I can't, I'm not enough for my kids, I'll never be perfect enough to raise them perfect, you can be anchored in the truth that Jesus is perfect, he's your savior. When the bills and the, and the practical reality of providing for your family, for your life, for your stuff, as those start to rise, you can be anchored saying, God, you are my provider. When the world tells you you have to have it all together, all perfect, all the time, and you feel the pressure of that and the worry starts to rise, you can be anchored in the truth that Jesus is your savior and you can't be perfect enough, but he was perfect for you. But you have to bow to those truths before you can stand on them. And it's too late to bow when the storm comes, when the pressure rises. And that in great part is why we're creating space here at the close of the service. We wanna create space. We don't do this very often. Usually we program the service and you guys come in and you get those moments, but we wanna create space here and now for the next eight, 10 minutes. So as I turn the service over to the campus pastors, just know that this next couple moments this is a powerful experience for you. We wanna invite you, don't miss what God's gonna invite us to do together. So right here at Central, I believe this, listen to me. I've mentioned multiple times throughout the teaching, we're gonna create space here at the close, and that's what we're gonna do. See, I think there are people in this room that have never bowed to God as their provider. You've never bowed and said, God, you're my provider, I'm gonna put you first in my life, and because of it, there's worry that's attached to that. You're constantly in the driver's seat of the boat of your life, and you can't rest, you have to worry, because no one else is providing, and maybe today, God would invite you to bow. In a room like this, there might be many who've never said yes to Jesus, never bowed to Jesus as my savior. And perhaps over the next eight to 10 minutes, God would invite you to bow, maybe for the first time. Say yes to Jesus, Jesus, you're my savior. Even more so, there's probably hundreds in this room that you've bowed, Jesus, you're my savior. God, you're my provider. But it's become religious for you. It's a box you check and you've forgotten there is a present 
and active and loving God who wants to speak peace into your life, who wants to break the back of worry in your life. He wants you to live like Jesus described in Matthew 6. He wants us to be able to live worry-free, carefree, but we've not bowed. And I wanna invite you to engage with your heavenly Father as your savior, as your provider. So let's pray. So Jesus, there's no one like you. We are grateful. And God, if we're honest, there's places that we can drift and there's places that we can get off course with what we know to be true, God. And God, for many, as we bow to you as our savior, God, I pray that you would help us to be able to stand on that truth when the reality that we're not enough starts to rise up in our face and worry rises. God, for others, as they bow to you as provider, maybe for the first time, God, would you give a a worry-free life knowing that you, God, are our provider? So would you, Holy Spirit, would you speak? Would you move? Would you direct us? Would you make these moments more meaningful than anything that we could say from the stage? So we love you, Heavenly Father, in your name. Amen.